0: has been already and I believe as much as I can know these things that the Lord truly was honored uh, this morning with our singing and with the special music. All of this was a focused on Christ, our thankfulness and gratefulness to him. He deserves all of the glory. None of it for ourselves this morning, but all for Jesus Christ as we continue to think about this blessed, blessed event. I found a couple of quotes here that were appropriate. Spurgeon always has good, good quotes, right? Charles Spurgeon said, On other people's graves it is written, Here lies so-and-so. But on Christ's tomb it is recorded, He is not here. And another one here, Our sins are gone. He cast them into his own tomb, and they are buried there, never to have a resurrection. We rejoice in the resurrection of Christ." We rejoice that our sins are dealt with when we come to Him in faith and trust, depending upon our Savior, and He does it all. We trust in Him; He gives forgiveness
1: and He gives new life because of His resurrection. Our hearts have already been so filled. John 19, Gospel of John again, and reflect, reflect. On this marvelous
0: event, the resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ, we have our hearts. Well, we've seen the glory of Christ on the cross, and truly, as Jesus has said, it would be a glory. But it is, in essence, a painful
1: glory to have observed all that he went through. The the necessity of his shed blood that
0: provides for our forgiveness of sins. But today, as we look further into John 19, and we see Jesus buried, and John reminds
1: us that uh, this this was no uh, this this was no fake
0: event in any circumstance. Nothing here was illegitimate. Jesus really did die. He really was buried. And we we'll see that this morning we also are able to rejoice. In what will take place. And so we're gonna take a little bit of extra time to really examine his word. John
1: 19, and let's begin at verse 38. And we're gonna see here that two men are described
0: in the midst of Jesus' disciples running away. Some of them return, the family, Mary, we see, and some of the other women returned to the cross. But it was only these two that thought to courageously take care of Jesus' body in a necessary way, in an honoring way. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. John alone describes Nicodemus and gives us information about him. He will also be a part of this. They removed Jesus' body, prepared for burial. Joseph of Arimathea, as we'll see here in just a minute, Uh, The Gospels, all the the Synoptics, all the Gospels, including the Synoptics, mention him as a wealthy member of the Sanhedrin, maybe one that you wouldn't expect would be involved in this. But we find that even though he was one of the religious leaders, the Gospels make it clear that he did desire to see God's kingdom, that he was a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Remember how the other leaders said, we have no king but Caesar. They basically denied the kingdom in order to have Jesus crucified. But Joseph desired to see the kingdom. He was a follower, a respected member of the council. Um, and it says in Mark 15:43, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate. And asked for the body of Jesus. This man courageously went to Pilate and requested the body. Um, He probably still feared the repercussions of the other Sanhedrin leaders. So he does this at night. We shouldn't criticize this too much. Folks, this was something that no one else was willing to do. To actually go to Pilate. And request and ask for the body. And we'll see. We'll continue to look at this a little bit more. But let's look at verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea. Who was a disciple of Jesus. But secretly. For fear of the Jews. Asked Pilate. That he might take away the body of Jesus.
1: And Pilate gave him permission. So he came. And took away the body. Candidly. This really points to a boldness on Joseph's
0: part because to ask for the body of an insurrectionist was very courageous and was, was not done at this time. It was expected that they would die in shame. And as the Jewish leaders wanted, they wanted Jesus on that cross as a picture of a curse that was on him. And so for Joseph to do this really showed um, his boldness in this. But it's interesting enough that Pilate granted his request, and that was unusual. Why would Pilate do that? Well, Pilate, remember, had already given his um, final word, his verdict on this, and that was Jesus was innocent, and he was thwarted by the religious leaders and these political games that they played. But Pilate still believed in Jesus' innocence. And so he allowed Joseph to take the body and to take the body down. And in the meantime, there was another man, Nicodemus, who also in his own way was preparing to honor the body of Jesus. Look at verse 39. Again, this is John chapter 19. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, John is the only one that records that. you remember that the beginning of the gospel, that conversation that Jesus had with this man, telling him about his need to be born again? And it seems we have the answer here to what did Nicodemus choose? Well, he chose new life. He is a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, albeit a secret one. But again this was courageous and what did he do in order to honor Jesus he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and this was quite a bit about 75 pounds in weight why would he bring such an extravagant amount of costly burial spices for one body what we have in records and understanding at this time is that this was common to honor kings to honor rulers. That a extravagant, large amount of spices in uh, these things would be added to a body. And here is Nicodemus saying, in essence, this is our king. He's agreeing with what uh, Pilate has posted, King of the Jews, and he wants him buried in that way. Now, Joseph was a wealthy man as well, and in the place where he was crucified, Jesus, there was a garden probably north of Jerusalem and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. The synoptics let us know that that was Joseph's tomb that had just his tomb that had recently been cut. It was a new tomb and there was no one, there was no other bodies that had never been used before. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there near the crucifixion site. Uh, Many people have their own ideas about where this was. We really still don't know for sure. But even in the midst of this, remember how we've seen over the past few weeks, the amazing amount of fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. But folks, even in this burial of Jesus, in this tomb, fulfills scripture as well. Isaiah 53, 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Joseph's tomb, a wealthy man's tomb, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Again, another fulfillment of scripture that John is so key and so focused on. He's noticing, he's the eyewitness that has viewed Jesus on the cross and and knows about the arrangements that Joseph and Nicodemus have made. And he's remembering scripture and seeing all of this come together and recording this for us. Well, these men had to do this in haste so they would not be accused of working on the Sabbath. They didn't have a long time. And preparing a body in this way took a while. But they were able to accomplish this. We're also told that two of the Marys knew where this tomb was, that his followers, some of his disciples knew where this tomb was as well. As we go further, folks, um, as before we go further with our narrative here, this aspect, this description of what John gives, doesn't it make it clear Jesus truly did die? John is making this clear. He will accept no other possibilities, but somehow that Jesus just fainted and revived later on. No, this this is a dead body that is carried away to be prepared. And John wants to make it clear. This body was buried without expectation of anything that would take place in three days. Jesus truly did die for our sins, folks. He gave up himself and his timing for us. And we need to believe that and marvel in his sacrifice. But again, aren't you glad that we're not left? Today we're going to see... Reactions to the resurrection. And at the end, we're going to examine, we're going to contemplate what our reactions should be to this marvelous event. Let's read chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them,
1: They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they laid him. So Peter went out and the other disciple, and
0: they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Let's skip ahead to verse 8 because we'll come back to this. And the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw
1: and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Father,
0: again, as we contemplate this glorious resurrection of our Savior, and even as we see the reactions from his followers, still not having understanding, still sorrowing, still in grief, Let us see, in the midst of this, that there were right
1: reactions. There was belief. There was worship. There was obedience to the call to proclaim the risen Savior.
0: Father, I pray first of all today, as we continue to look at this text and see reactions to the resurrection, that if there was one here that still has not trusted Christ, that is not They could not describe themselves as a child of God, but their reaction would be to believe in our resurrected Savior, to put their faith and trust in him so that they can experience new life for the rest of us, that we would worship him because of this and proclaim him. Let us be motivated as we continue to see these reactions this morning. Let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts
1: and energize us to tell others, to be busy about proclamation until Jesus returns. This we
0: need your help, and we ask for it. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Again, reactions to the resurrection. You see the first reaction that's highlighted is a beloved disciple is moved to believe. That beloved disciple that's described here, remember, it's John. From all the best evidence that we can see in studying, this seems to be John's humble way of describing himself. But first of all, there's reactions to a discouraging discovery. Let's go back again to verse 1. The first day of the week, that is Sunday, right? Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. A little bit of explanation, a little bit of filling in uh, details from the synoptics. John focuses on Mary in his account. In the synoptics, we also find... That there were other women that went along with Mary. And it seems that they started their journey to the tomb. They knew where it was before daybreak when it was still dark, as John says here. But by the time that they had reached the tomb, daybreak had taken place. And they noticed in amazement that the stone had been taken away from the tomb.
1: Now, in order to fill again a little bit of the details here, go quickly with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're about to read in John, basically, that the stone had been moved
0: away. But the words that, used, that John uses are of a violent removal of something being overturned or overthrown.
1: Now, if you've seen pictures of this tomb in this huge stone that had been rolled to the front of the tomb and had been sealed by the Roman government,
0: this thing was literally almost impossible to move, except maybe by some strong Roman soldiers, and they would have put that into place. So for this to be not just moved, but John has a description of moved away violently, overturned, um, on, or even out of the groove that would, the stone would have been. Many times they had a groove that the stone would be moved into, kind of like a sliding door, so you could get in and out of the tomb, if you could move that stone. And it had literally been
1: taken out of the group. How could that even be possible? Well, We need to understand. Let's just. And then we'll go back to John. There was a discussion that had taken place between the chief priests and the
0: Pharisees. Actually, go to Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation. This was after Jesus was buried. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure unto the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has
1: risen from the dead, and the last frog will be worse than the first. Go, make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by the sealing of the stone. These Roman
0: soldiers were the ones that were strong enough to be able to move that thing and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, there were other Marys that went along to see, went to see the tomb. And behold, probably before they got there, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And remember those guards that so cruelly treated Christ. And now they faint dead weight in the glorious power of God. And for fear of him, now it's the guards' turn to tremble and become like dead men. A humiliating situation for them. And so then the women, back to John, come to this. And they see this sight. The stone literally lifted out of the groove and violently moved away and the
1: guards here um, fainted dead way and they're amazed and certainly surprised. From uh, the best chronology on this was that Mary
0: Magdalene in particular was so moved and so surprised that she didn't even go into the tomb but she ran and got Peter and John while the synoptics say that the other women noticed the appearance of angels in the tomb. We we'll won't get into that today. We'll go to the story from where Mary runs to get Peter and John. Verse 2. So she ran. Again, in surprise and amazement. I'm sure she's already in tears. you can imagine what these followers had to go through um, the last few days in this? And all their expectations of a, a political savior that had been dashed. And then they saw him die and to gaze upon that cross and to see their Messiah, the Savior, treated in the way that he had been treated, buried. I'm sure it was hard for them to focus on that Sabbath day in particular as they reflected on their loss. I mean, these were a grieving group of people. And then all of a sudden to get to the tomb and these women to see. That somehow in their own minds, because what else could it be that somehow somebody had stolen the body weight and desecrated the body of their Savior, which is something in Jewish mindset that should never be done. You know this. You don't touch a dead body. You don't mess with a dead body. And so the grief and the anguish that they had to be going through, and Mary just can't take anymore. She's got to go get Peter. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John, said to them, can you imagine her emotion? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. A discouraging discovery indeed. Well, Peter and John have to see this for themselves. You would expect that Peter would be that way, certainly. So Peter went out and the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them
1: were running together. It looks like I don't know if John was a marathon runner consider at this point he wanted to get to that tomb and see what had happened and so he ran ahead he outdistanced Peter
0: and he reached the tomb first but then all of a sudden he stoops to look in but he doesn't go in I wonder at this point if there's some apprehension you know if somebody were really evil enough to steal a body might there still be some sort of trouble inside and whatever reason John doesn't go in but he looks in and he sees Another amazing sight. A discouraging discovery, but now they react to an unexpected
1: uniformity. Why would I put it in that way? Well, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he decided not to go in. Well,
0: as you can imagine, (laughs) Peter's not going to have that problem. (laughs) And Peter gets there, and he runs right in and following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And John gives these details of, that only an eyewitness can, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up
1: in a place by itself. This is remarkable. And, folks, what does this prove? The body hasn't been stolen. If the body had been stolen, the thieves had stolen the
0: body, would they take time to fold the grave clothes? That's ludicrous. They'd be wanting to get out there as quickly as they could. However, they got that stone out of the way. And it would have been a mess.
1: But Jesus takes the time. this is Just a wonderful, beautiful touch. Face cloth. that would have been wrapped. Face wrappings really is what you should think
0: of it as his, his, his it would have been wrapped very tightly. He takes the time to fold them. Amazing. You know what this shows me? Even as John took consider careful consideration to show us that in the midst of the most awful crucifixion and death of any person that ever lived, that Jesus was still in control of those events. Right? Jesus is in control of these things too. He does. He he even his resurrection is on his own terms. I'm resurrected, but I'm going to take the time to fold the grave clothes. Jesus is still in control. His father is in control of all things. Well, this was the last thing that these men were expecting. And they're still surely thinking and trying to figure out what had gone on. And John tells us in verse 9 that they did not as yet have the understanding of the scripture. And what he's saying there is neither one had a full scriptural understanding of what had taken place. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. John is seeing the crucifixion of Jesus and his burial, and all these Old Testament scriptures are flooding <clears throat> back to him. But at the same time, they still didn't have a full scriptural understanding of what had taken place. On the other hand, though, John in particular recognizes recognizes. Something unique has happened here. Something supernatural. Something that only God can do. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw, and here is the reaction, folks, that we must have first and foremost to for the resurrection. And he believed. Whereas yet they did not understand the scripture that he must
1: rise from the dead. But John did believe. He didn't have a full understanding. But he reacted in faith. And again,
0: if there's anyone here today that has, doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know Jesus as a personal Savior. But you have, as we said today, um, shown thankful lives, humble hearts, and a bow. Today you can do that through one simple thing, and that is believe. Believe in the resurrection. Believe in the resurrection Savior. It is true. He is alive. He is risen indeed. And folks, the first reaction we must have is to believe in that, to trust in that. Our full dependence must be in his death and resurrection. No, I hope that is your response today. If you have questions about that, come talk to me. Come talk to our leadership. We'd love to tell you further about how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You must believe in these things. Well, that was the first important reaction. But there's other reactions as well. We see, a weeping disciple is comforted. And there's a reaction to unexpected visitors. Verse 11. Now, from what I study here, I don't think Mary has seen any angels yet. She was too busy running and getting Peter and John. But she would have followed them. She wouldn't have been able to probably run quite as fast. But she reaches the tomb. And verse 11, Mary stood weeping. Outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She finally has opportunity. And notice her reaction to something that she totally did not expect at all. And I don't know if she'd been told about the folded grave clothes at this point, but verse 12, as she saw not just grave clothes, but two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, let's go back here. Jesus, when it says that Mary is weeping, this isn't a gentle, silent, quiet cry. This is a good old um, Jewish wailing, emotional expression of grief. If anybody were nearby, they would have heard Mary weeping. And we can understand that, right? I'm sure these folks didn't get much sleep that night or throughout that, the, the last few days and they're in agony, and all of this, the fact that somebody would even steal the body. Mary in particular thinks the body has been taken away, and that's awful in
1: her mind, and she is wailing in grief, tremendous grief. You think about it. What did the disciples, what did the followers expected from Jesus? They trusted in Jesus as their Messiah,
0: right? They thought that he would establish his kingdom. That's why he was there. And not only that, Mary in particular, Mary Magdalene, who had been demon-possessed, and the Lord Jesus had cast those demons out and she was healed. She had her sins forgiven, pronounced forgiven. And the one who taught, she's going to, we won't get ahead of this here, but the one who had taught with supreme authority, we're going to see that Mary really, Appreciated Jesus as a teacher, and they'd also watched the same person who had done all these things and who they had loved with their whole hearts. Folks, they watched him tried as a criminal and die a slow, painful death as a criminal on an awful cross. Can we understand a little bit why she might be upset? I certainly can. She probably not had much rest. And now she sees these two angelic beings and they offer her a gentle admonishment. What do they say? They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Well, normally when someone's crying, that's probably not the most helpful thing to say. <laughs> and then if your wife is crying or upset about something, probably not that moment is the right, right thing. The first answer, the first reaction to that would not be for you. Well, why are you crying? Stop it. Well, what are the angels saying here? Well, they're not being unkind. They're being gentle. But here's what I think they're basically saying. Mary, this is no longer an appropriate time for weeping. You're about to experience unfathomable joy. Your weeping time is over. So you need to know that. But of course, in her grief in her agony she totally misses that message and what does she say she said to them "Taken away my lord and i do not
1: know where they have laid him her grief keeps her from being able to fully appreciate the heavenly visitors she's looking at heavenly
0: visitors angels and all she can think of is where is the body She gives vent to her fears and concern, and something then, whether it's the angels and how they look, uh, or or I think probably she hears something behind her, and she turns, it says here. We don't know why for sure, but something catches her attention. She's had this reaction to unexpected visitors, but she's still so full of grief about the, the missing body of Jesus, and now she reacts to a very abrupt appearance, Having said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She's not able yet to comprehend the identity of her Savior. Not yet. It seems as if Jesus' recognizable or or his resurrection appearance was recognizable by his followers, by the way. But it wasn't one that they identified with immediately. There was a difference. We don't know for sure what that difference was. It was a good difference. One day when our resurrected, when we have our resurrected bodies, we will appreciate that. So for whatever, because of her grief, because in her mental state, the last thing that she expected was to see Jesus alive again, right? All of these disciples and followers. John may now have an idea of what happened, but nobody really expected Jesus to to be resurrected from the dead. And so in her mind, she's thinking, who is this person? Maybe he can help me. And Jesus said to her, verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? Again, that may sound kind of crass and abrupt. But when, uh, when this term was used, remember, Jesus used this term for his own mother, said woman. Today, we wouldn't say it like that. We would say something, and you could really kind of put this, translate it this way, dear woman. He didn't say this without affection or concern. He was just addressing her. But he puts to her the same question
1: that the angels did. Why are you weeping? Notice Jesus has a gentle rebuke here. Um, But still necessary. Because she's looking at the risen Savior. And she's still sorrowing. That's not the right reaction. Then he says further, or he
0: says, whom are you seeking? Well, what does Jesus mean by that? He knows what what her concerns are. He knows her fears. Why would he put it that way? Why wouldn't he just say who he was and explain to her? Because there's an important point that that he's pointing out. He's basically saying, what sort of Messiah have you been expecting, Mary? Have you been expecting one that couldn't conquer the grave and death itself? I'm standing before you as your risen Savior, and you don't realize that yet. You need to change your expectations. For I have risen from the dead. This is no time to sorrow or grieve anymore, Mary. You need to have a better idea of who I am. I am the Son of God. How, God, I'm not one that stays dead in the grave. And she still misses this, supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Again, she misses this. We can understand that. She's all focused on where the body went, and the living Savior is standing right in front of her. The irony here is amazing, right? And then John writes this beautiful moment, verse 16, where Jesus just says to her one word, he calls her name, Mary. That word is the knowledge he's showing he knows her. He knows her concerns. He's trying to get her attention in that one word. He's saying, I know you. Mary, look at me. Understand And at that moment, right, she turned, and she knew. She just had to hear him say that one word, say her name. And, folks, for all of us that have put our faith and trust in
1: Jesus, he knows your name. He knows each of your names, and he calls to you understanding of who he is so that we can serve him more effectively.
0: And she turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabbi." and and John helps us understand that means teacher. Well, of all the interesting things that she could have said at that moment. But, folks, it reflects her respect on him that he has taught her the truth of God. John has said he would reveal the truth of the father. He's the very word of God. And Mary has appreciated that so much from one that has gone from being demon possessed to now having been able to be taught by the ultimate teacher, the ultimate rabbi. And let's not forget that um, it, at this time period, this just um, very candidly, women weren't allowed to follow teachers like this. Women were not normally uh, given the respect to be able to follow a Jewish leader in this way. And yet Jesus
1: was willing as well to teach all. And I think Mary... And love and relief refers to him
0: as her teacher. It really is a beautiful thing. But then Jesus says something interesting, right? Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, I said that kind of in the way that we kind of we we read or expect that. But this is how I think he really said it. As she is in some form or fashion, when Mary has this realization and this reaction to him, either we're told the other women, when they finally saw Jesus, they bowed before him or they even grasped his feet. That could very well be what happened here. Mary in her emotion bows before him and clings to his feet. Or maybe it is some sort of embrace here. And Jesus isn't in any way rebuking her or chastising her for doing this. Because it would be natural to have that much love through someone to respond in that way. We understand this. So he's not saying, oh, don't touch me. Get away from me. He wouldn't in any way do that. But he's saying, basically, don't cling to me. Don't keep me here. Don't keep me all to yourself, Mary. Yes, I'm alive. And he says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. I think what he's saying there is, you'll have more time with me, Mary. Don't cling to me as if this is the only time you'll ever see me again. We'll talk again. But Mary, right now, you have a job. I have a mission for you to do as my servant. I have a mission for you to carry out. You'll have opportunity to see me again. But now, go proclaim me to your brothers. And John... Jesus here refers to his brothers, not his real brothers, because remember, they hadn't trusted in Christ yet. They were still working through all of this, James and the others. but he refers to his disciples as his brothers. A beautiful picture of family here. And tell them, Mary, that I am ascending to my father and your father, my father now for my followers. He's your father to my God and he is your God. I'm ascending soon. There's much to do. We have to, I I need to tell my followers and let them know the truth of what has happened. And Mary, you get to do it first. Why did Jesus go to Mary first, by the way? Don't you think he, if it were us, we would have chosen for him to see his own mother first? Or or John, who was walking over his mother and, and appeared before them? Or Peter, who was the leader of the disciples? Why Mary?
1: Well, we're not told for sure. Can I hazard a guess? <laughs> at that moment, Mary, Mary needed him most. And he,
0: he appeared before the one who was sorry. What do the other men do? They went home. I'm not, not, I'm not degrading them for their
1: choice, but even John, who believed, he's still thinking about this, and he goes home. And Mary is there weeping in sorrow and agony, and she needed Jesus, and he appeared to her first. He comes to us and offers us new life,
0: and offers us the power of forgiveness over sins and all of this. But he says, Mary, don't keep this to yourself. Go proclaim it. To others. does she do that? Verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. That he said these things to her. Jesus calls Mary basically to not selfishly linger any longer. But to tell others. Mary's response thankfully is obedience. Folks, as we finish up today. That is what our reaction and our response. Should be as believers. First, what let's, let's, as we finish up today, what should we've seen these reactions to the resurrection savior? What should our reaction be to the fact, to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Belief, faith folks, is the most necessary reaction. You must put your faith and trust As we've already said. And I hope that you have done that. And you have a relationship with him. We must believe as John did. But then also, joyful worship. Mary immediately worshiped Jesus when she realized who it was. Folks, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus and have experienced worship and have experienced the wonderful, um, close personal walk with Christ in communication and prayer. In understanding of Scripture, we know those are glorious times. But sometimes we can get selfish and want to keep those all to ourselves. Jesus reminds Mary, as, as excited and as joyful as you are, don't keep this to yourself. But also, we should have the reactions of service and proclamation of this wonderful message. Let us proclaim our risen Savior. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't cling to Jesus in that way, but be willing to go out and serve him and proclaim him to a world that needs to know the truth of the resurrected Savior. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen
1: indeed. Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to proclaim him to this week? Father, thank you. As we relate to these reactions,
0: We can imagine ourselves, if we had run to the tomb and seen these things, how we would react. We can understand Mary's grief. We can understand Peter's perplexity. We can understand John's embrace of faith without full understanding still. We can understand these things, but many times, Lord, we do forget that you've called us to proclaim these things. Help us to be so moved as Mary was, her reaction, that we don't keep you all to ourselves, that we don't keep Christ to, to our own enjoyment, keep all the blessings in our own lives to ourselves, but that we're willing to go out and proclaim him. That is what the final reaction is that we must do. In reaction to all that he has done, in reaction to his resurrection, and the fact that he
1: lives today and he will return. Help us to proclaim him because of our love for him, because of our adornment, adornment of him, and our wonderment and amazement of all that he is and what he has done. Lord, we're just in the end asking, help us not to be selfish with
0: this message, but to proclaim it to this dark world. We do, do look forward to seeing Jesus again, and we will probably have the same reaction that Mary did. But in the meantime, keep us faithful. Keep us desirous of wanting to proclaim the message of the gospel of Christ to others, that they may too worship with us before the feet of Jesus one day. Help us, give us strength to do this. And let us, Lord, the rest of this day have joy and excitement. Let us celebrate
1: the fact that our Savior is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah and amen.